go ahead and call to order the Iowa City City Council Economic Development Committee meeting of Monday, October 29th, 2018. Uh, typically, we like kind of like to go around the room and introduce everybody. I'm Susan Mims, Iowa City City Council. Wendy Ford, Economic Development Coordinator. Simon Andrew, Assistant to the City Manager. Jeff Fruin, City Manager. Jim Throgmorton, Mayor. Rockney Cole, City Council. Amy Hospodarski, Vice President of the Engler Board. Laura Burgess, Chair of the Film Scene Board. Andre Perry, staff member, Ingler Theater. Uh, Joe T. Venteller, Film Scene. <laughs> Eleanor Delk, City Attorney. And Ashley Monroe, Assistant City Manager. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate that. It makes it easier for Wendy when she does minutes. <laughs> if nothing else, then everybody knows who's here. Um, item two on the agenda is consider approval of the minutes from our last meeting, which astonishingly, astonishingly enough is November 27th of 2017. So moved. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes 3-0. Thank you. Uh, we've, people coming from Cedar Rapids for the EDC um, have asked for delay. They've had somebody come in, so we're going to skip item three for right now. We'll go on to item four. Uh, consider recommending agreement with the Englert Theater and Film Scene for a $1 million capital campaign request. Wendy? Okay, yes. Um, well, as you know, we've been uh, working with the Englert and film scene represented today by um, the, the four of you, the two staff members and two chairs of, of boards, on um, how the city could be a part of a capital campaign that has been named Strengthen, Grow, and Evolve. Or maybe there's no and in there. Strengthen, Grow, Evolve. Um, they uh, have a vision, these two organizations, to help Iowa City be the greatest small city for the arts in America. And um, they have a plan that includes um, elements to strengthen both of their organizations, to grow both of their organizations, and to evolve um, so that they can meet this one big goal of creating the greatest small city for the arts in America. Uh, so uh, we've been working with the two organizations um, who each have uh, particular uh, elements that they want to uh, accomplish in the strengthen component of the Strengthen, Grow, and Evolve campaign. The strengthen parts have to do primarily with the, the physical um, changes to needed to each of their buildings. For the Englert, it's uh, substantial uh, historic renovation that includes uh, facade, windows, marquee, roof, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, sound, audio, all kinds of uh, the equipment, everything that, uh, that the Englert uh, needs to upgrade going forward. Um, and for film scene operating out of the Packing and Provisions Building, the historic building on the Ped Mall, uh, scene one, as it's also known as, they have uh, other pieces to their um, operation that also need upgrading so that they can continue. And while that, while both buildings have actually had a lot of historic renovation over the years, the uh, the pieces that Film Scene needs to upgrade now aren't necessarily as historic as those um, that the Englert is is uh, going to be undergoing, but still required for them to be uh, operationally sound as uh, Scene One, uh, the the uh, first movie theater of Film Scene. 
Um, I don't think I probably need to go too much into the history as it was written in the memo here. Um, but I did want to uh, call out uh, again that this is a, a $10 million campaign, about $5 million of which um, revolves around the strengthen component or the physical component of um, both of these buildings. And that's the part that the city's been asked to uh, participate in. Of the $5.1 million, and that's an estimate now of these physical needs, uh, the Englert uh, would use up most of that in their project. It's by far the largest physical one, and it's got the historic preservation components as well, um, with the film scene needing about 164000 of that. Oh, here's our Kurt, uh, Kurt Nelson. Uh, so, uh, let's see, that leaves about $5 million for the grow and evolve components, which, as I noted in the memo, include um, some really fantastic efforts to continue to grow this as a premier arts community in, in the United States. Um, so the uh, uh, Englert is, has been working with um, both federal and state uh, entities to uh, qualify for historic tax credits as well. And as you can see in the table in the memo, historic tax credits will provide a, a big chunk of the, the needed funds to be able to do these historic renovations. Uh, $1.7 million, it's estimated. That will be coupled with about $2.4 million in required private donation fundraising. And along with the city's uh, $1 million, that will bring bring the total needed for the strengthen uh, components to strengthen, grow, and evolve to $5.1 million. Um, this would be uh, paid for um, using the uh, tax increment generated by the entire downtown urban renewal area, also known as the City University Project 1 urban renewal area which, um, as you'll remember, back to November of, was it 16 or 17, um, the Economic Development Committee here approved revised TIF policies that would make the use of tax increment for arts, cultural, and historic preservation um, endeavors uh, Approvable, I guess is the right word. Uh, so wanted to get that out there. The the million dollar grant then would go to um, Englert and Film Scenes joint venture. It would be uh, proportioned out. They'd be required to proportion it out in the same proportions as the 4.9 million to the Englert and the 164,000 to um, Film Scene uh, in amounts that are. 83% to the Englert and 17% to uh, film scene. That's how the agreement is written. These then would be, the million dollars then would be uh, divided into four payments that would happen, two yet in this uh, fiscal year, 19, and then two in fiscal year 20. And, uh, Let's see, I think that was about all I was going to say. Both Andre and Joe are, are here to add to my comments, and we welcome you to do that if you like. Uh, yeah, thank you for, you know, 
working with us on this for, for, for such a long time. And I know both city staff and council have been in, you know, conversation with us even as this project, you know, began to take its root. And so we appreciate everyone's time and advice as we push this thing forward. Um, and, you know, just to add to what Wendy said, you know, we are, you know, seeing if the city can be supportive in the strength and part of this project because, you know, we do have plans and we think we have a vision to really help continue to develop a, a you know, strong community here. Um, but it is really important that we maintain these actual physical structures that we have in the community right now. You know, the Englert and the Packing Provisions Building both being um, over 100 years old and to have those be cultural centers in our downtown. You know, there's a lot of different things that exist downtown and, you know, a lot of them are good, but we do need to make sure that we have these places where people can congregate, can actually share space together, can feel creative, can feel motivated by the experiences and, you know, ultimately what I think both our goals are as these organizations is to help all the different sorts of people who live here, whether they're young or old students or long-term residents, whatever their backgrounds are, to really feel like this place is home. And we feel like the work that we are trying to do is part of that process of helping people feel good about living here. Um, and of course, there are so many other efforts that we need to be doing as a city and as a community. So uh, <laughs> yeah, just wanted to add those couple notes. And I don't know if Joe had a couple things to say. That was perfect. I think one of those things, when we talk about the landscape of, of home and how people feel connected to downtown, uh, one of the elements that was core to us in strengthening these organizations and keeping scene one was that if you look in that part of the Ped Mall, kind of unbelievably, we have the only doors open to culture after 5 p.m. every night uh, of the year. Uh, we're the only home for that, and we find it to be very important to keep strengthening the organizations to keep that as part of downtown Iowa City, a part of how we look and are visioning out our organization in two spaces with you know four or five screens. It's, it strengthens our organization by keeping that vital. Any questions? I'd like to ask a couple questions, and but before I ask the questions, I want to be clear that I really support the purposes of, of this proposed grant and all that. But I want to just make sure I'm clear about uh, a couple of things. Uh, the first has to do with the use of the uh, uh, the TIF area funds, right? So <clears throat> I have no idea what kind of pot of money is in the TIF area pot. And therefore, I don't know how much a million dollars is from the pot. Is there a way of answering that question? There is, but I don't have the exact number right now. I could approximate is good enough. Oh boy, I want to say five hundred thousand. I hesitate to to put a number out there when when I don't know for sure. Well, help me understand then how this works. If, if we're have, allocating a million dollars, 250 in four 250 increments, mm -hmm. from that larger TIF pot, you know, I'm wondering that? how much is in the pot, and are there competing potential uses of, uh, of those funds, and so on. So I, j I just want some clarity about that. Uh, first of all, we would, uh, mechanically in-house, we would do an internal loan for those funds. So we would write uh, a check for the first installment. Um, the uh, TIF certification uh, prior would have allowed for the collection of those taxes and we can get those dollar amounts. We will take as long as it requires to pay ourselves back for the internal loan made to, uh, made to the Englert 
uh, or to the Strengthen, Grow, and Evolve campaign. Um, I can certainly get those exact numbers of our past tax increment available. I know it far exceeds what is what the demand on it is right now. That's pretty much what I'm trying to get at. Okay. The district was formed in 1969, so it's a very sizable increment there. Uh, we typically have done it project by project, so that specific project had to create the increment to fund it. Uh, this one we're drawing from the entire district. So it's a, a very large pot of funds, but it will divert some from the general fund. And they can only be used within the district, correct? correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wanted yeah. to be clear about that. That's would reset the base then. The, uh, I guess, and Simon mentioned this, there, there really is no competing projects out there for these dollars. The, the competing interest is the, is the city's general fund and the other taxing bodies that will have their um, property taxes withheld to, to fund this purpose. Other questions? Yeah, uh, I've got a find uh, the specific spot uh, that I wanted to look at before asking this. Uh, not sure if I'm going to find it. Well, I, I don't see what I'm looking for, but anyhow, I think in your memo, Wendy, you indicated that, that uh, we have already allocated $500,000 in each of the last two fiscal years. Mm -hmm. Is that right? To, to this mm -hmm. project. Are, are those funds part of the 250, the, the four two, $250,000? Loans are they separate? I mean, no, they they it's would. Too long ago, I don't remember the details. They of would fund the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar installments. Um, and what we're what we're asking for your approval today is the uh, the agreement that was in the packet, and also the use of the the TIF district to refund those to the city to refund that loan to the city. Okay. All right, that helps. So in fiscal year 18, we budgeted for it and just didn't spend it. So we're basically just carrying that forward. Yeah, I wanted to make sure just sort of for my own purposes and maybe for the public's purpose that we weren't, we're not saying we have already allocated $500,000 in the two previous fiscal years and now we're gonna add basically another million dollars in a different way. So I just wanted to be clear about that. Yeah. Just the mechanism for accessing the uh, Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good deal. Well, I just want to say, I, it, there's a number of things in, in Wendy's memo, but I think the work that your two organizations are doing, are that work is absolutely critical to the vitality of downtown um, in terms of bringing people downtown, shopping downtown, eating downtown, just just that vibrancy of having people walking around and doing things. And I, I also want to commend you for the variety of people, acts, speakers um, that you bring in that really challenge us as a community sometimes in terms of what we're thinking about, what we're talking about, how we are viewing things. So while some of it is just great fun entertainment and that's good and that's really important, um, a lot of it goes a lot further than that. And I think that's really important um, all the time, but maybe even more important in this day and age to get people doing that. And I, I can't really imagine 
because it hasn't happened, thank goodness, but I really can't imagine what Iowa City would be like without your two organizations and the draw that you have um, for bringing people downtown. I think it's been really critical um, for how we see and how a lot of people see and view downtown. So I want to thank you and glad that we can find a way to help keep those old buildings going. So. Any other comments? Well, indeed, and uh, the, there's no reason for me to repeat any of that because I completely agree. Uh, I think, as Andre knows, I have a chair up on the up in the balcony that hmm. comes from donations made almost 20 years ago, and uh, it's a terrific venue. And I, I go to film scene pretty darn often, so they're both great, terrific assets to the city and the downtown. I do. I was, was was curious about one thing, though, which has nothing to do with the the grant uh, specifically. Uh, I'm curious about the um, the the vision for the um, the evolve part because there's there's really not much text in what we have uh, before us about that. Can you elaborate just a little bit? Not a lot because we have other things we have to talk about. Yeah, we can. Talk, I'll, I'll talk about two things. Um, one part of the grow section, actually, because you know the, this campaign is capital, but it's also programmatic. Two things I think are really important to highlight in the grow section. Um, one of the things that we're looking for investment for is uh, to have a shared community engagement coordinator who works with both organizations whose charge is to wake up every day and really be connecting the programming and outreach we do to all the various members of our community. So some of that would be with the school district, some of that would be with uh, with Kirkwood and the university, and some of it would be with, uh, I think, just communities that are, feel under, underrepresented, don't feel comfortable coming downtown. How do we begin to build those bridges? You know, it's work that Joe and I believe in, that Andrew and Katie and the rest of our teams believe in, but there's just so much that we are doing that we really need to dedicate someone to that. And so that's one of the big things that we're trying to do, which is in grow, but I see that as an evolution for how organizations work. And for it to for that person to not be representing just Engler with the blinders on, but being able to go to communities and say, this is a really vibrant town. If literature is the connection, great. If it's performing arts, great. If it's film, if it's something else, so that someone is able to like really represent all those interests at once and really find the appropriate connection for whatever that community or that community member is looking for. Um, and getting into that Volve section, the, these two are connected. I think one of the biggest things that we're trying to do is to get all of the organizations that are public, or not public, but just cultural nonprofits. So that could be us, that could be Riverside, that could be Public Space One, that could be um, uh, the UNESCO City of Literature and even the folks who are on campus, Hancher, the School of Arts or the School of Music, to get us all at the same table to begin thinking about how we can collaborate together um, in terms of pushing uh, the cultural assets of Iowa City further. Um, so some of that could be just sharing resources towards programming so we can do something bigger than any organization could do on its own. For example, um, we worked really closely with the fundraising to bring Common to Iowa City a few weeks ago, and that took everyone you know, giving up a little piece to make this bigger-than-life thing happen that really, I think, affected the community in a positive way, um, to think about how we can brand together, so it's not just film scene or English going out there saying, hey, come here, but saying, hey, this is Iowa City, this is the Iowa City area, there are so many opportunities to engage with culture and the arts here, so that we're working together. So um, that's that's one of the big things that we're trying to accomplish in that, in that Evolve section of the campaign. 
maybe I'll briefly comment here. You know, there's a lot of big decisions moving forward on the downtown. It's really nice to sort of focus then on what we sort of unanimously agree upon. And I think this particular project really demonstrates using historic preservation as a foundation to grow the city. And I think you guys are perfectly doing that. Um, the second piece is the use of the historic tax credits, um, I think is fabulous because I think we would like to see that utilized in other areas. I think the, where the film scene one is, that's a good example of a good use of that um, to sort of make the business case that historic preservation isn't necessarily diminishing the bottom line, even though you guys are nonprofits. Hopefully we'll see some people that, that copy you and learn from your experience and hopefully as you develop these fundraising mechanisms, um, you know, we can even get the word out even more on the power of historic tax credits in terms of the economic potential. So I think that's just fabulous. Community engagement, that just brings joy to my heart because you guys are doing such great work. And I'd also like to highlight the amount of free event programming that you guys do, which does not go unnoticed. Obviously, when you do an event for free, you still have costs. And so I, I really view this as really part of making those sorts of things happen. And I think the final thing that I really commend all of you do, you guys, is you know, you guys do your homework. This request didn't come today. I think so often we see organizations that approach the city and say, I want funds now and they haven't done their homework. Well, this process has been 18 months, individual meetings with counselors, working in detail with staff, and when you do all that homework, these decisions become incredibly easy to do. Um, so kudos in terms of what you've done, and we're very pleased to support this. With that, all in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? Passes 3-0. Thank you very much. Excited to see this move forward. and. See it grow and evolve. <laughs> yeah. All right, sounds good. Take care, guys. Good seeing you again, too. <laughs> All right, we will hop back up to item number three to get an update and request for funding for fiscal year 20 for $25,000 in assistance for the Entrepreneurial Development Center, Inc. in Cedar Rapids. Kurt? Yeah, let me first apologize oh, for being late. I, I was trying to viewpoint molecular, one of your Iowa City. Uh, University of Iowa companies trying to get them some funding, <laughs> and the and the potential funder just wanted to keep asking questions, and that's a good thing, right? <laughs> but uh, did kind of slow up my morning. Not so, any problem. Thank you for indulging me. I'm giving you all kinds of stuff, and let me let me just thank you right off the bat for um, continuing to fund us on an annual basis. Um, you know, we <laughs> I started this uh, business uh, 15 years ago in September, and so it's been a it's been a long labor of love, and uh, uh, and we still all enjoy it. So we all keep doing it. Um, we still do an awful lot of work down here, um, <clears throat> and I gave you uh, an annual report which we did just for the city of Iowa City, which means this is this is every all the stats with this on the back and so forth are just for the city of Iowa City. Um, but we've worked with over a thousand businesses in Iowa now, um, and we get part of our funding from the state, so we work all over. So some of the state money can get funded down here as well. Um, but uh, over over our 15 years, you can see the stats on there. It's about two and a half billion dollars worth of impact uh, for the state. Um, but if I if I look at uh, look at look at you folks, you know we we've raised about. Uh, 
little over $12 million now to run our organization over 15 years. Um, so it's about $800,000 a year, of which you're 25000 of it. 52% uh, of that money uh, that we get on an annual basis comes from private supporters, private corporations, um, you know, uh, like Alliant Energy and so forth. And I think if you, if you look at either of our stakeholder reports that are on the inside, you can see everybody that funds us because they're all, they're all across the bottom of the front and the back, and the larger the logo, the larger the support, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, when it comes to, you know, we work with startups, we work with early stage companies, we work with uh, later stage companies. Right? So something people, I think, usually think that we just work with startups and that's not the case. So if you have a company that's 80 years old and is trying to figure out how to evolve, sell, move on, uh, transition out family ownership, uh, that type of thing, we, we engage with them just the same. It just needs to be interstate commerce located in Iowa so that it's bringing money and people from outside the state of Iowa to improve the vitality. Um, when it comes to helping local retail outlets and so forth, we have the small business development centers and the chambers of commerce and that's not something that, that we get involved in. Um, if you think about two that are kind of high profile that we are heavily involved in right now is both Meta Communications and Pear Deck, right? both right down here on your Ped Mall. And uh, uh, so, and, you know, if you're all familiar with what's gone on with Meadow over the last <laughs> the last year, two years, it's been a little bit of a soap opera. Uh, but the net net is, is that it's gotten fully recapitalized, all new leadership, um, good financial support behind it. They just launched a brand new product at Adobe World last week. Um, I'm sitting on the board of directors. Uh, and uh, so it's, that business has got a lot of growth potential right now. Um, and doing very well, so it's a pretty high profile business considering where, where it is, although for a business that's not making money yet, it's kind of hard to look at the rent, but, but nonetheless, um, it's a great spot. And uh, Paradeck, we've been working with Michael and uh, Riley since they founded it. Um, and uh, they were actually able to take some of Meta's space when, over there at the Hotel Vitro space. Uh, so we're investing a lot, uh, a lot of time in, in those companies, but there was on the front of this a list of a number of others, and the uh, list is, is more extensive than that over time. Um, so if you look, there's some additional metrics if you just, you know, if, from an Iowa City standpoint, uh, in 2017, the businesses that were down here uh, in Iowa City proper raised about $5.5 million. Um, and we always kind of give a public to private ratio so that you know that businesses are not getting funded just by the government, so to speak. And so the ratio last year was excellent, you know, $5.3 million to $150,000. Um, businesses, we track revenue growth from the businesses that we support, so over $14 million of revenue growth last year, new jobs, 46, average wage about 42, uh, new payroll increase from new hires and raises about 1.9 million. So 22 million on total impact and program to date about $116 million, um, so $146 million. So uh, lots of really great things have been going on. Um, we are, you know, we do an awful lot of work with ICAD and, and are very, uh, they support us uh, just by referring clients and so forth, not by anything financially. And we use their facilities for meeting with clients when we're down in Iowa City. Uh, so <clears throat> I just wanted to come down and give you the flyer and tell you what we're doing for you all down here and say we enjoy working down in Iowa City. Um, we'd like to keep the relationship going as we go. And uh, if there's anything that uh, I can help you better understand, Please let me know.
Well, certainly staff does, uh, you know, the review on these more than we do as, as individual counselors, and their recommendation means a lot. But it's, it's nice to see these things and see how much is happening from your perspective, you know, in this area, because at one point that was one of our concerns, um, was how much help the businesses and the startups, and, and like you said, not just the startups even, but the more mature businesses that you're helping um, as they need, whether it's the marketing or... That uh, was 17 years old, I think, when we got involved. So. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's great to have, and it's just, you know, for somebody who doesn't work in this area, it's, it's always interesting to read these things because the stuff is so complex, and to, <laughs> and to have people who really understand it in terms of how do all these different pieces fit together from the different the different financing aspects, the different places you can go to get money, depending on the circumstances, depending on the size, et cetera, depending on the industry, um, and yet matching all that with, you know, how and when are they going to have revenue, and so how do they meet their expenses, and how do they market? Um, we obviously need people who are who are really good at this and uh, the experts, and so it's nice to have people like you and your staff um, available to help. I, and I'm sure, and, and certainly can read the the uh, comments of other people like Michael and Riley and stuff, and they certainly think very highly of the work that you and your group have done and how how much that has assisted them. And I can't imagine where some of these companies would be um, without your assistance. So. It's good to have good to have that support. So, comments or questions from anybody else? Um, probably just a comment and a question. The question would be: um, I see this um, Cedar Crest manufacturing as a case study. Um, it reminds me of sort of the more blue collar entrepreneurship opportunities. So, if you could just describe um, what percentage of the work you do in helping, you know, tool and die, and, and some of these um, manufacturing type uh, businesses, those sorts of things. Yeah, so you know, if you if you were to go across, uh, I think the basic manufacturing sector across 15 years is probably around 30 percent of what Good. we've touched. Um, if you because we just have to look at Iowa, right? You know, so we're not a we're not Minneapolis, and we're not you know we're not a predominantly a high tech center. We have everything from basic manufacturing all the way up to this morning. I'm working on metastatic melanoma, right? Mm. So you, you you know all the way from one side to the other. Uh, so. Um, I think that's important to highlight because it's not startups are an incredibly important part of the entrepreneurship sector as well as the high tech, but also those more mature and, and more of the hands-on businesses I think are important too. I'll give you an example. So, um, does anybody know who Bazooka Farmstar is down in Washington, Iowa? No. So they're a large manufacturer now of manure injection okay. fertilizing machines, right? You know, so you picture these giant machines. They look like uh, planters, but they've got injectors that go underground as you pull them, right? And then they're hooked up to a, a sewage pond and it pumps all the manure underground so you don't smell it and it gets all used, right? So these big, big expensive machines and we engaged with them a few years ago. Uh, Stutzman's actually owns them. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, they were having trouble trying to decide could they grow and how big the market was. And so Julie Zielinski, who works with us, um, engaged with them on the marketing side. And uh, actually using University of Iowa library uh, items, uh, gave them a lot of information for how to expand. And that business went from three years ago at 10 million. This year, I think they just finished out at 32 million. Um, so really huge growth. And so this year, 
my, the, the one gal that has worked for me for about 20 years on the operations side spent, I think, almost two days a week down there for about four months helping them improve the efficiency and operation capabilities of the manufacturing side of the business because you, know, you can grow the sales like this, but if you can't <laughs> deliver it, you've got a real yeah. problem, right? Now, they paid for that work. Uh, Bazooka did. Uh, so if we go in and we engage as an employee there, the company pays for it. Your money doesn't go for that. But uh, but that's an example. So for the, for the city of Washington, that business was over doubled in employment, right? And it's just bought another assessment, just bought them another building. And so it's, it's and that's just basic manufacturing. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, that, but to your point. Yeah, that, that's very good. And the other just follow-up is you had mentioned sort of the, you know, the 60- to 70-year-old family-owned enterprise. One interest that I have is is helping the long-term employees that work in a lot of these businesses acquire an ownership interest in that. So I was wondering whether you could comment in particular on to what degree do you facilitate transfers to the employee, like an ESOP or something like that? Because that, that's an interesting piece, I think, that a lot of people don't know about that's a big part of the entrepreneurship. Too. Right, so we work with the accounting firms on the ESOPs because if you, you know, if you're going to between you need a good lawyer and a yeah. good accounting firm to actually yep. execute that well, yep. um, and we have partners for that. But uh, it is it is clearly an option, yeah. and I think that uh, you know if you look at Iowa just in general, and this is a discussion I've had at the state level, is is that we have every county has one or two manufacturing plants mm -hmm. right, at least mm -hmm. if you get out into rural Iowa. And now you have more, mm -hmm. right? And so does, you know, Lyndon Johnson County has a lot. But there are a lot of options for keeping these businesses alive and growing when the owners, yeah. you know, the husband and wife who work in it every day, whose kids went off to college and didn't come back, mm -hmm. right? And now how do we keep it in the, how do we keep it in Iowa? Because not, because those businesses actually, if, if you don't, they get sold and somebody takes them out of Iowa. Yep. And so that's one of the vehicles right there is employee ownership. Um, and so it's, it, if you know anyone who has any of these businesses that, have, that are older businesses in the area that are interstate commerce, um, I think they typically don't understand that they that they are a target for what we do. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that a lot of the donors figured, um, the private industry donors figured out they could actually, because they were a donor, use what we do. So there's a lot of them that are on that supporter list that actually get services from us too. Oh, terrific. Great, thank you. So I have a question too. A couple nights ago, Rockney and I were both attending the, uh, what is it, Immigrant and Refugee Association's annual awards meeting up in Cedar Rapids. And I happened to be sitting with a Congolese man who told me that he is trying to start up a Uber Lyft kind of company, which he's calling Vroom Go. Like, you know, Vroom Go. Yeah, so it makes me wonder what, uh, you know, we have a significantly larger immigrant and refugee population than we did five, ten years ago. And many of them are Congolese, many are Sudanese, and so on. Uh, and I'm wondering what, if anything, you've been able to do to try to work with those populations to find ways for them to start up companies that can help serve their communities better because they have unique needs, right? So. Well, if, we, if, if someone would put him in touch with us, then, then we would absolutely engage like we would engage with anyone. Um, I think, uh, you know, we, we, over the years, we're about 35, 37 percent um, 
female over 45 percent, we will call it female and minority owned type of businesses. Um, so, you know, and, and what's interesting is that, you know, if, if, you, if you're a U.S. citizen, right, then it's pretty straightforward. It's the same as any is the same as any U.S. citizen coming through the door, right? Because you have the same rights to banking, the same rights to government loans, the same rights to any of the support that you get. Um, and the only business we've had trouble getting funded over the years that would be out that was actually the Quadro Vodka people. And you all remember the little square Quadro Vodka? They were from here, Iowa City. Well, probably one of the premium vodkas in the world. But Alexei and Irina Kratkov, and they were from Russia, but they were Russian citizens, and they didn't. They weren't citizens here, so we couldn't get them properly bank finance because the banks wouldn't loan to them. But um, so we've worked with pretty much all the different minorities in, on a regular basis. Um, but I, so somebody just needs to introduce us to them. You know? yeah. We have the guy now with, from down here, the Indian guy with um, the vinegar, wood vinegar. I don't know if you've seen him, um, but wood vinegar is actually, it's, a, it's actually both a fertilizer and a pesticide. But it's coming through the the Tippy Business School, hmm. and we're now engaged with him. Uh, so terrific. Okay. All right. All those in favor of the request, the twenty-five thousand dollars for the EDC. Aye. Aye. Opposed. Passes three-zero. Thank you very much, Kurt. Thank you very much again. I apologize for being oh, late. Not a problem. I see with you again. Working with entrepreneurs here. Mm. Schedule's never always mm. your own. Mm. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you all. You all have a great day. You, you too. too. All right. That moves us on to item number five, uh, change in ordinance related, or yeah, recommending a change to the sidewalk retailing ordinance. This is a fairly straightforward ordinance change um, requested actually from the Iowa City downtown district um, for uh, decades. Our uh, sidewalk retailing ordinance has allowed uh, merchants to put uh, racks out on the sidewalk from uh, 9 a.m. Thursday morning through 9 p.m. Sunday, um, although actually it hadn't been operating quite like that. Um, we realized there was a uh, there was a, a potential for a conflict there, and the downtown district has asked if they could keep the same hours, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., but have a sidewalk retailing um, okay every day of the week. Uh, this uh, was sort of brought to the fore by a couple of years ago by Kiku Obata, the design consultancy hired by ICDD to look at uh, retail strategies in downtown Iowa City and, and make recommendations on how the shopping experience could be improved. And one of the suggestions was to have everyday, all day available sidewalk retailing. This includes uh, dressing up the exterior storefronts. It includes having a nice rack of some of the merchandise that you would carry inside, outside on the sidewalk, and um, things that really sort of liven up the, the pedestrian streetscape in the retail zone. So um, this, this ordinance change would allow for that to happen every day of the week, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Wendy, do you know off the top of your head, and I don't recall seeing it in here, what, I don't recall seeing it in here, kind of the restrictions on space. I, 
as I read this, I don't personally necessarily have a problem with it, but I can immediately see some people having an issue because they feel like it's taking up too much of the sidewalk and impeding, whether it's people with disabilities or just if it's crowded in general, people getting through. And I know in some areas we've widened the sidewalks, um, certainly like on, Wa on Washington Street, I would think it would be less of an issue now. but. I think do in the administrative the rules, we require eight feet eight of sidewalk. Feet. That's the guideline. Um, now, as Wendy mentioned, you know it hasn't been operating ideally uh, thus far, and I think that, that that's a, a benefit of going in this direction. That we have one point of contact with the downtown district that we can address right. issues when you know some of those racks start encroaching on that eight feet. But right. in general, eight feet of pedestrian access. Okay. So if they have, if they happen to be fortunate enough to have a wider side walk in front of their retail establishment, they are going to be able to have more space out from the storefront as long as they're leaving eight feet free. They have I, to be right abutting the building with Right. That. So they so they can't have a gap. But I'm just saying if you've got if you've got a sixteen foot sidewalk and there's no other things that would impede pedestrians, mm -hmm. then you could go out eight feet. If somebody else only has 12 feet, they can only go out four feet. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, it'll yeah. be different storefront by storefront. You know, if it is a 16-foot sidewalk, it'd be If you have a tree imagine. and a grate, and, I mean, you've got to kind of account for those uh, impediments to to people getting through, so, okay. It's, it's really not much. It's a permit, so it's just, you can put conditions on the permit as they're issued. It's not like just a blanket authority. So there would be a there would be an individual permit for each establishment for the districts, but you're going to have to look at the spacing, I assume. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we'll have one point of contact with the district to work with then. Okay. Um, you know, if it's an extra wide sidewalk and there are other issues with, and we try and keep that pedestrian access as straight as possible right. as well for um, people with uh, visual impairments. So mm -hmm. um, it will be different by storefront, but um, in general, that's the minimum. We may require right. more in a given area okay. depending on the conditions. So in other words, there still will be some details to be worked out in the permitting process. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. We have to, you kind of have to look at this holistically when you start looking at uh, sidewalk cafe placements and, and sandwich board signs. They all take up the right of way along with all the fixed amenities, benches, light bowls, newspaper racks, all those things. So it's, it's probably nearly impossible to get a perfect scenario, but we, we refine each of those you know, every year as we get complaints or as issues arise. Maybe we put art on the sidewalk that delineates where they can be and where mm. they can't be. Mm. <laughs> so spatially, this is a retail equivalent of a sidewalk cafe, isn't it? I mean, that's the way I think of it. So, yeah, seems fair. Any other questions, comments? All those in favor of recommending the change in the sidewalk retailing ordinance, say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes 3-0. Thank you. All right, moving on to item number six. Uh, this is looking at, let me go back to my, <laughs> should have printed off the first page of this. Uh, consider recommendation to solicit proposals for retail recruitment firm. 
Okay, this idea started uh, months ago when Councilman Botchway was still on council. He was interested in uh, uh, perhaps hiring a retail uh, recruitment specialist to help uh, especially fill in some of the empty retail storefronts there were in some of the outlying areas um, of, of town, knowing that when there was active retail, uh, it added a certain, it adds a certain vibrancy to uh, neighborhood retail center that he felt was very important. So um, we did some background on retail recruiting consultants and interviewed a, a couple of them, probably the two most prominent, um, and actually two that have worked in the state of Iowa, both of which uh, for Dubuque in the past, um, talked about the scope of services that they could provide, the kinds of things that they could do for us, and um, found that uh, th they really do two things. They do market analysis, they try to, or they, they figure out using credit card and, and other sorts of mega data uh, where we have uh, leakage in our uh, in our area, retail leakage, that is if, if our local residents aren't able to find um, the products and services they need, they're leaking out to other neighborhoods or other municipalities to find those. So determining those and also determining where the market may be already saturated for uh, certain other elements and then trying to match up the, uh, the needs with um, changes in and the things that they know about existing retail both um, local, regional, and, na and nationwide. Um, and so uh, next to the, uh, the data analysis then, or after the data analysis, comes the retail recruitment part, which is largely relationship-driven as opposed to data-driven. Um, these folks run in similar circles. They go to uh, retail conventions and they have relationships with, uh, with retailers and they, the, the nationwide and the regional ones, and they are also in other communities and able to build relationships with other local uh, local type retailers as well. So we put together uh, a scope of services that we thought would be appropriate for uh, for Iowa City, um, making special note that uh, we want to be sensitive, especially to the local retailers. And we've made a note in the uh, a note in the sort of preamble uh, to the request for proposals that um, you know while. Uh, while restaurants would be an easy target and and uh, very, I, I assume, very appealing to especially the national restaurant retailers, they call them, we really don't have much of an interest to fill in more restaurants in, say, downtown Iowa City. But a, a restaurant of that uh, sort might be very welcome in, say, the Highway 6 commercial area. So we want them to be sensitive to the different retail neighborhood needs um, and, and knowing that especially we're interested in building the, we've called it dry goods uh, retail segment for some time, downtown is an important factor. Um, we built that into the into the request for proposals. Um, but we wanted to get a feel from the Economic Development Committee today on whether or not you still all felt, as Kingsley did, that this was something you'd like to go forward with. I definitely do. I, I think we've got real gaps in our retail. Um, 
type of retail as well as location. And I don't, I don't know if I've said it here, but I mean, I've certainly said it to a number of people that just taking a, a name doesn't have to be that name, but I've said for years I would love to see a target on the southeast side of Iowa City. And again, it doesn't have to be a target, but the idea is you, you can't buy socks, you can't buy sheets, you can't buy towels, you can't buy underwear, you can't buy any of those kind of dry goods stuff. I don't think anywhere in Iowa City anymore except the Walmart on the southwest side. Kmart was Kmart was the other place, but there's certainly there's there's nothing on that east side and there's no other competitor, if you will, to to the Walmart. And so um, I think I look on the northeast side, the Blackstone area, uh, I think there's certainly possibilities there, but exactly what those would be when you start getting in those smaller neighborhoods that, that can come in there and be successful. Um, but that's what these people should be able to help tell us and help recruit for. So, and I think, as Kingsley mentioned, we certainly have a lot of um, vacant first floor spaces in the downtown area. Maybe they can help us with that, maybe not. I know in some of those cases, the landlords don't care. They're, they're just making plenty of money off the rent in the apartments, and they just don't even want to bother with the re with. They see it as a hassle more than I, somebody talked to me about having trying to have a conversation with one of those landlords, and they're like, "Yeah, we're, we'll just let it stay empty. We're fine." Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we just, so that I think that's a real challenge. But I I look at particularly the south side of Iowa City, the southeast side, the northeast side, uh, where we do have some of those commercial areas already in place, but we're, I think we're really missing some, some key commercial stuff. So I'm definitely supportive of our trying to get somebody on board. I think we need to be pretty cautious not to uh, attract competitors to existing businesses that are doing moderately well, just well enough to survive. I'd, I'd hate to see that happen. I, th I definitely agree with basically everything Susan said. Uh, as a general point, uh, there are clearly gaps in <clears throat> with regard to retail in our city, and we could get help in filling, uh, identifying what those gaps are and how they could be filled. I, 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 it's not obvious to me why we would pay any attention to restaurants. It seems to me retail is the, the big issue. Uh, and then I guess one last point for me, uh, just to, to begin the conversation here, is when I look at the uh, the excerpts from the draft RFP, and I look at what's was what a section C general scope, and I see a, a list of a pretty long list of stuff that the consultant's supposed to, at a minimum, address. Mm -hmm. And I think, wow, fifty thousand dollars? Going to address all those things? Really? Over I mean, that—that that was my gut reaction just reading it. It'd be, it'd be a three-year contract, so one hundred fifty total. Fifty three a year. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. I must have missed that three-year part of it. Yeah. Well, that helps. <laughs> I thought there's no way a consultant's going to do that for fifty thousand in one year. Yeah. So 
you got I, those. If I can just say one thing about your uh, your caution about bringing in too much competition, the other side of that coin is um, argued by the fact that when there's a cluster of similar types of retailers, it makes a critical mass worth uh, coming down to shop for. So for example, if we only had one jeweler downtown, somebody might be inclined to say, oh, I probably won't find what I want, there's just one place. But we have three or four really good ones. And when you've got just that right uh, cluster, right size cluster, you're more apt to bring people in because of that. And thus, everybody gets a little bit more business from it. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe, maybe a useful example just for discussion would be whether a retail consultant might recommend that, say, two years ago, we bring a Whole Foods in uh, and locate it somewhere in the vicinity of downtown or maybe out on Highway 6. Okay, big competitor for the existing uh, grocery stores. Would that be a smart thing to do? Maybe it would be, but I, I don't think so. So, and that's why the retail consultant works with staff. We'll say, you know, we'd be able to say we wouldn't support one thing or another. We couldn't put anything to that, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, it, it wouldn't happen just because it could. A crucial thing is something that Susan rightly mentioned, and that has to do with the stuff people need. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to have to drive seven miles or whatever to go to Coralville or wherever to buy stuff they need. We want them basically to be able to buy those things here. Well, it's, I mean, it's especially important for our low-income families who yeah. don't have reliable transportation. I mean, to have to, one, they can go to the Walmart, so maybe on the bus line, but if there's things beyond that, I mean, having to go out to the Coral Ridge Mall, then that is it's incredibly burdensome for them Absolutely. to have to do that. And so, yeah. Jeff, I think you wanted yeah, to... You know, really what we're doing here is we're, we're paying for information and connections. Now, we don't own uh, retail storefronts. Uh, some cities do. We don't own those. Uh, so when we get this information, uh, it's really, we're kind of a conduit. So we'll work with property owners, we'll work with commercial brokers to get them that information. Um, but I, I don't really see us taking this and then having Wendy or staff go to, you know, retail conventions and, and knock it on the door of a, a Chick-fil-A saying you need to come to Iowa City. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really what we're hoping to do is get that information so that it, it could help mm -hmm. the existing property owners and, and commercial uh, brokers. And, and, and then we can say, you know, this is, this is kind of what we would like to see in the, in the southeast neighborhood. Here's where we've got retail covered well, and here's those, here's those gaps. Here you go, broker. And hopefully between the broker and the consultant, they can be a little bit more effective with a targeted recruitment strategy. Maybe I could comment a little bit. As many of you know, I was a little bit of a negative Nelly on this last year, um, in part for several reasons, in part because I think what we're dealing with are some structural changes in the economy. And I would commend you to listen to, there's a recent NPR um, show that I don't know if you'd heard it, it was on the news, and they were talking about the problems that New York was having, which obviously is a very much different community, but in prime locations that historically had no trouble whatsoever filling up, you probably heard it, 
and they were having high vacancy rates of 20 and 30 percent. Um, they identified three reasons, and I only can remember two now. One was the internet, and the other was high rents. Well, duh, right? Um, but I just bring that up to say these are very complicated issues. Um, we are dealing with structural changes. Um, that said, I am going to support it because I do think one of the things they just sort of floated in passing, and I'm not proposing this now, was they're looking at in some cities a tax on empty retail space. I'm not proposing that at this point. I'm not saying what I'm saying is I do think there are some policy approaches that we can use that hopefully will help us unlock this empty storefront puzzle. Um, and I think if the retail consultant can get us some of the cutting edge um, proposals, because as Susan brings up, I've had that same conversation. We're not the first to sort of say, why do we have these empty storefronts in prime locations in downtown Iowa City? And, and the landlords, you're right. They have the up, they have the upstairs retail. The second piece they have are existing tenants in other commercial areas, and they don't want to feel like they're undercutting them. And third, they just sort of have this view that this is what you get for commercial space. And so they view those in their own mind as a loss anytime they, they go lower than that. So I'm hoping that whether it's through this process or another process, we can ad address some policy energy to trying to unlock that particular piece in terms of the empty retail. And then, as Susan mentions, how can we really generate that, that low-income piece? And we have had some sort of dynamic entrepreneurship with like stuff, et cetera. Um, there are those pieces of the puzzle that have sort of emerged spontaneously. So those also have been important, too. So I'm hopeful that we can do that. To Jim's point, Although we have three years um, beyond the scope of today's discussion, but I would hope we could triage that a little bit and maybe identify, you know, sort of what is the key thing we want to address in the next three years and at least address that really well. It does seem a little broad in scope, and even with three years and 50000 per year, it may be something where we do sort of a pretty good job in everything, but not a great job at any one thing. So that's just sort of my preference sort of going forward, but obviously that would be something at a subsequent time and place. As Susan mentioned, we haven't had a ton of EDC meetings, no. um, so hopefully maybe we can up the tempo a little bit and hopefully have some policy discussions moving forward. But I am going to support it uh, because ultimately, I think to Jeff's point, information and data are going to be huge to sort of yeah. unlocking whatever policy solution that we have. Press oh, relations, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think both of those, the data and the relationships are, are really big. And as you said, Rockney, you know, one of those concerns is the, the what the Internet is doing. And yep. that's why, I mean, I was, was told that, you know, certain companies, you know, a lot of your big box stores are just being really cautious about adding anything is because of the internet. They're, you know, they're even trying to do more internet. But again, I think those are things that are not necessarily as helpful to the low-income residents. So uh, needing them to have brick and mortar near where they live to get those basics, I think, is really um, important. So. Well, the other thing, just a quick follow-up, the interesting thing is with the Internet's using the storefront now as a loss leader. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have an Internet company that wants to, like, really make it, and then they buy retail, but just for the purpose they know they're going to lose money, but just so they have some sort of storefront for that. So I think that's another interesting phenomenon going well, forward. Yeah, I mean, just as an example, I've heard, and I haven't seen it anywhere, but I've heard that Best Buy, their new places are very small. Yeah. And so they're not keeping much... Uh, inventory, so you can come in, you can see all the stuff. They'll have it delivered to your house within two days, yeah. you know. But they don't have the, that whole investment in the brick and mortar. So, okay. 
All right, anything else in? Nope. All those in favor of passing this recommendation on to council, say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, passes 3-0. Let me clarify, is that, a is that a recommendation to council or is it What's just it or not? A, I'm sorry. Uh, approval to uh, issue No, I'm sorry, RFP. it's a recommendation to solicit proposal. So no, it's not to council, I'm sorry. It, it would come back to council after, uh, actual with an actual agreement. Okay, yeah. okay. okay. Thank you for the clarification, yeah, Jeff. Sorry. Okay, staff report. Uh, the only thing I wanted to mention was our, our building change program is being, uh, Resurrected, if I can use that word, I guess, in this case. Um, building changes, you remember, we ran a couple of years ago. It's a program that actually had two parts to it, and we want to do two parts again. The first part was taking a pot of $150,000 of uh, city funding and um, opening a competitive grant uh, uh, competition, I guess, for uh, folks in the downtown area who would do facade improvements, which could include everything and anything to the entire facade, to uh, windows and storefront, to signage and, and everything included, um, storefront entries and that sort of thing. We hope to um, get the interest of a few of those properties out there that um, we know either really need some improvement or um, have, have uh, in discussions, indicated that they would be very interested in a pro program like this. Have it be competitive, make those awards um, then in the spring so that um, they could actually get these project, their projects done during the next construction season. The second part of the uh, building change program would be uh, a loan program, not using any city funds. Um, only The only city resource going towards that would be the staff time because the city staff would administer it. These would be loan funds um, gathered, by, uh, gathered by the city from Hills Bank, uh, Midwest One, and the University of Iowa Community Credit Union, $50,000 each, creating a $150,000 pool for uh, low interest, two percent loans to uh, downtown businesses who wanted to do smaller projects. Um, they would have five years to repay the loans um, and uh, we're hoping that uh, these funds could be coupled with a new grant program that the downtown district is putting together. They have um, two tiers of grants they're working on putting together in order to get people to upgrade their storefronts, doing the sidewalk retailing that we talked about, doing um, the next round of cosine signage, um, the blade signs that that went up the last over the last couple of years, uh, and or other storefront and facade enhancement programs. ICDD isn't quite ready with theirs yet, um, and and we've got a couple of I's to dot and T's to cross before uh, we all go out and promote this to. Um, to the downtown businesses especially, but wanted to bring you up to speed on that. We'll have uh, a lot of fuss about it coming up over the next six weeks or so. Great. Does the city act as a guarantor for the loan, or how does that work? No. Okay, mm -mm. so it's just directly through the banks. Right, okay. the, and the banks um, the banks and a city staff person would serve as a loan committee, and okay. generally the banks are, uh, one of the banks is the bank for the customer going after the loan, so they can pretty much uh, feel comfortable underwriting okay. these loans and haven't had any problems doing that in the past, so Terrific. they would be also part of the committee again this year. Okay. 
I think this can really, especially this year, we've done this in the past, but we've never really had a strong historic preservation bend to it. And given the recent uh, survey that was complete, we will certainly make sure if we award uh, facade grants to a, a property that is eligible uh, to be listed or a key contributing property that the, the improvements are historically appropriate. I don't think our and our average grant is probably 30, 35,000, probably not enough to entice a someone to designate Designate, but we can at least make sure that the improvements are historically appropriate. That's all I had. Anything else from staff? Okay. Anything from the committee? Nope. Any other business? We are adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you.